to get started. Father, thank you so much. You are so good. We thank you for your word. It is powerful. And we just ask that this morning you would speak to us. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, we all live with a definition in our mind. And this definition is very, very important. Because we base decisions off this definition. We, we base our worth off this definition. It, it, it guides us in so many aspects of our life. And the definition that we all have in our mind is the definition of what it means to live the good life. We all have one. Every one of us define life as good, meaning life is good for me if I have these certain things or if these certain things happen in my life. And every one of us, we, 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 we base our life off this. We have goals and dreams and aspirations based off of how we define the good life. Now, we all have nuances to this, right? I mean, there are certain things that maybe I want that you don't want or that you want that I don't want uh, that we would call good, sure. But there are some generalities as well. I mean, pretty much in general, we believe we're living the good life if we have more than, you know, just a little more than enough money to live off of. We want enough money to do all the things that we want to do, and we'll take just a little more in case something comes up, right? Just a little more. Or we believe we're living the good life if we have just a minimal amount of problems. Just, to, just, you know, we can handle a problem every now and then. We just don't want a whole lot of problems, right? We don't want them to mount up. We don't want them to be too big. Sure. We believe that we are living the good life if there's just enough of the right people in our life who will do what we want them to do. Right? I mean, we don't need everybody to do what we want them to do, but we just need a few of the right people in our life, don't look at them, but a few of the right people in our life to do what we want them to do, and then my life would be good. We believe we're living the good life if we've had just the minimal amount of health problems. You know, we'll take a cold every now and then or something like that, but we just don't want anything major, right? Not, not, nothing too big. We believe that we're living the good life if we have uh, just more money, just a little more money than we need to actually have a fun retirement, right? We think about retirement. These are things I want to do in retirement. And then as long as I have just a little bit extra in case something again comes up or some things to leave to the kids and grandkids, that would be great. And then at the end of our life, as long as we can die in our sleep at a really old age, we would have lived the good life, right? And, and we all think about this. Now, I know you're so holy you won't admit it, but we all think about this. We think, what does it mean for me to have a good life? What if I were to tell you that there is a life that you can have, that you cannot get by luck, you cannot get by circumstances going your way, and you actually can't get it by hard work? There's a different kind of life that Jesus offers us. It really is not based on your definition of a good life. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 6, he says, humans can reproduce only human life. He says, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He says, there is a life that you can live, but it only comes from one place. It only comes from the Holy Spirit of God giving birth to this life in your life. Not only that, he says in John chapter 6, he says the Spirit alone gives eternal life. 
So a part of the spiritual life that Jesus offers us is eternal life. It goes on forever. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you, Jesus says, are spirit and life. He says, what I have been teaching you all leads to and culminates in this spiritual life. It's a life that you cannot get anywhere else. And one of the things that we have to come to, to grips with and to terms with is that there is nothing that we can do to earn this kind of life. We cannot become good enough in life in order for God to somehow bestow it upon us. That's not how it works. It is a gift from God that he gives to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what we're talking about in this series in Acts. By the power of the Holy Spirit gives birth to this new life that we can have, and we do nothing to earn it. I get that from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says this, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, meaning when he came in his first advent, Jesus' first coming, verse 5, he saved us. And he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. God did not save you because he looked on you and he saw some goodness in you. God did not save you because you earned his salvation. He didn't save you because you were good enough for a long enough period of time. That's not how it works. He saved us because of his mercy. God's mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. And I hate to break it to you, but what you and I do deserve is not very good. But in his mercy, he saved us. And then notice what happens. Notice in the verse. What does this saving mean? He washed away our sins, number one. A lot of times that's all we want dealt with, right? God, if you'll just kind of deal with this guilt that I have, deal with this shame that I have, you know, if you can just kind of handle that, then I'll be good. No, no, he goes much further than that. Look at this. He washed away our sins, number one. Number two, he gave us new birth. That's what Jesus said needed to happen. And then number three, he gave us new life. But where did it come from? Through the Holy Spirit. We cannot manufacture this kind of life that Jesus is talking about on our own. You can work hard all your life. You can earn all that you can. You can save all that you can or spend all that you can. You can do everything you can. You can diet all that you can. You pick it. You can do everything you can, and you're still not going to live this kind of life that Jesus is talking about here. But he offers us this kind of life that comes only from the Holy Spirit in our life. And then here's what happens. The spiritual vitality that we have, that we are given by God, that we cultivate in our life when God the Holy Spirit comes to rest in us, the spiritual vitality that we have means that we are then set free to serve Him. We are not set free to then live out our definition of the good life. And I would even go so far as to say, most of the time, God's really, he really doesn't care about your definition of a good life. Because so many times, our definition of a good life is so selfish. And it's all about me and what I get and what I can have. And God says, there's a life that I have for you that's so much better than that. My plans are so much better for you than what you can plan. So much better. And we're set free to serve him. This is why Paul said in Romans 7, 6, he says, but now we have been released from the law, for we have died to it and no longer captives or captive to its power. Now we can serve God. Notice that. We are set free to serve God. 
Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, not just in following some religious rules. A lot of times that's how we think about Christianity, is that, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you just got to like not do some things, and then you do some things, and then you're a Christian. That's not what it's about at all. He says, not by obeying the letter of the law, no, 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 but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Notice it's not about some regimen of obedience. It's about living life in the Spirit. Meaning that the Holy Spirit that resides in us goes with us everywhere we go and guides us and directs us and comforts us when we need it and everything that we need. Everything that we need. This kind of spiritual vitality that we have where we are set free to serve Him is not about just obeying some religious rules. It's a new way of living, Paul says. It's about having life. Now the question is, how can I experience this Holy Spirit-given life? How can I experience that? I'm so glad you asked. I have eight answers for you from the book of Acts. Yes, all eight. I hope you pack lunch. And I hope it's Daniel Plan approved. Okay, uh, number one is this. How can I experience this kind of life? I can experience Holy Spirit-given life when I am committed to prayer. It all starts in prayer. Now, just so we make sure we know what we're talking about here, um, when I say the word pray, what I mean by that is I mean talk to God. Just so I'm clear. Because a lot of times when I say the word pray, you, what you, we hear me say is talk about God. I'm not saying talk about God. I'm saying talk to God. If we're going to live the kind of life that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, if we're going to cultivate that light, we have to be committed to prayer. Notice the context of this miracle in Acts chapter 3 starts with Peter and John going to a prayer meeting. It's, we see it in verse 1. It says, Peter and John went to the temple. Notice, Peter and John are going together. They are praying with other people, and they are praying in the temple, which is a very busy place, by the way. Went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Notice, again, they are praying with someone. They are praying in a busy place. People are going in to pray in the temple, so they are praying in public together. Speaking of busy, so many times this is our main excuse for not praying. It's just what we say, you know, I'm really busy, I need to work on my devotion time, or I forgot, or, or whatever, or I like to pray driving down the road, just don't close your eyes, you know, all that stuff. There was a reformer of the church who said, you know, I'm so busy and I have so much to do that I have to spend two or three hours in prayer every morning if I'm going to accomplish it. That's a whole different way of thinking about prayer, isn't it? See, a lot of times we think we're too busy to pray and Martin Luther said, no, 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 I'm too busy not to pray. I need it to accomplish everything that I need to do. You know, whenever it comes to us as Christians, if you claim to be a Christian, a lot of times we walk around angry, we walk around mad or upset or bitter or gossip and slander. We live out those ways of the flesh that Paul mentions and talks about all throughout the New Testament. And the one commonality that you see with people who are always angry, always upset, always bitter, always holding grudges, the one commonality is prayerlessness. Every time. You can't spend time with God and God not rub off on you. And I'm sorry, I hate to break it to you, but God's not mad. He's not bitter. He's not holding grudges. And when you spend time with Him, His character rubs off on you. And if, So if you're going to live the kind of life... That, it, that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. You have to be committed to prayer. If I'm going to live the life of God, then I have to live life with God. Everybody with me? 
No coffee? <laughs> Point number two. I can experience Holy Spirit-given life when I draw near to God and His people. These two things go together. I touched on this last week. When I draw near to God, but also draw near to God's people. Now, a lot of times when we read this story in Acts chapter 3, we, we look at this man, he's begging for money, we translate that into how we see that in our modern world, but he's doing something very important here. In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, it says, As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Notice what he's doing. Every single day this man gets other people to carry him to the beautiful gate. And in that, what he's doing is he's creating close proximity between himself and the presence of God and the presence of God's people. Right? The presence of God was in the temple. So he is drawing close to God, but he's also drawing close to God's people who are going into the temple to pray. See, a lot of times what we do is that uh, we think, you know, I'd rather just distance myself from God and distance myself from his people in the church. Now, here's the thing. We're good Southern Christians, so we don't say that out loud, right? Yeah, I mean, no one walks, uh, wakes up in the morning and we're just like, you know, I think it's a really good day to just, you know, move a, one step further away from God. Right? No one says that because we're not stupid, right? And no one just wakes up in the morning and says, oh, you know, I think, you know, I really think I'd just like to just distance myself in fellowship from the church a little more. No, we don't say that. But many times that's the desire that we have in our heart. And because that's the desire we have in our heart and because we don't need to say that out loud, that means we need an excuse. We need it to be somebody else's fault while our life with God is not being cultivated and growing. And we need it to be somebody else's fault for while we are not living in fellowship with other believers. I think in the church today we need more effort and less excuses. This man, notice what the text said. He was lame from birth. And he was being carried in every day every day do you know what the greek word for lame is do you know what the greek word for lame is it literally is can't walk that's the greek word for lame not really that was a joke <laughs> but he can't walk but he didn't make an excuse he literally could not get there by himself he had to ask someone to help him get there so he could become, get in close proximity to God's presence and God's people. We need fewer excuses, I think, in the church today. And I think we need a little more effort in drawing near. Because I can experience Holy Spirit-given life when I draw near to God and when I draw near to God's people. Now that second part, drawing near to God's people, is going to be very important for the next three points. Point number three is this, is that I experience Holy Spirit-given life when I let others look into my life. And here's where it gets hard. I'm never going to experience the life that God wants me to have until I'm willing to be vulnerable enough to let other people look into my life and see me. Notice what happens here in verses 3 through 5. It says, when Peter saw, or when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them about some money. That's what he was there doing. Verse 4, Peter and John 
looked at him intently. Notice that. And Peter said to him, look at us. Notice, Peter and John look at him intently, and then they get his attention. I need you to look back at us. Look at us. Verse 5, the lame man looked at them eagerly. Now, he was expecting some money. But notice what's taking place here. Peter and John are looking at this man, and now he's looking back. This, when Peter and John look at this man, this is beyond a surface view. Are you with me there? They're not just looking at the external part of this man. They are looking at him intently. They are, this is not, we love surface viewings, don't we? That's why we spend so much time in front of the mirror and the camera. That's why we put filters on our phone when we take pictures. We love surface viewing. The question we have to ask ourselves is when was the last time someone saw the real you? No, I mean the real you. When was the last time you let someone look into your life and they didn't see just what you project to the world? They saw you. You see, we talk a lot today about being self-aware. The paradox of self-awareness is that you cannot get to self-awareness by yourself. <laughs> you can't get there. We've got to give other people permission to look into our life and help us see the things that we cannot see and see the needs that we have that maybe we don't even know we have. That leads me to point number four. And that is that I can experience Holy Spirit-given life when I let others speak into my life. Not just look into my life, but speak into my life. There are two ways uh, to be miserable in life. One is to not have anybody in your life who can tell you that you're wrong. That's one way to be miserable. The second way to be miserable is to not have anyone in your life who can tell you you can move forward when you are wrong. We need both of those. We need people in our life who can tell us when we are wrong, but also encourage us and tell us that we can move forward when we are wrong. What we like to do is we like to insulate ourselves, right? We like to put people around us, people who are like us and people who like us, so that they just tell us what we want to hear. And that does us no good. And if we're going to live the kind of life that the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit-given life, the kind of life that God has for us, we have to let other people look into our lives and we have to let other people speak into our lives. Look at verse 6. But Peter said to him, notice this, after they lock eyes in this moment, notice Peter said to him, I don't have silver or gold for you. Peter says, you just need to know, I don't have anything that is going to help you live your definition of the good life. Not your definition. I know you're here for money, but I don't, I don't have anything that's going to help you there. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. What he told him is that there is a way for you to move forward in a whole new way in Christ. In Christ. It's that powerful. Now notice that this lame man, he did not dismiss them. As soon as they said, I don't have any silver or gold, he could have just moved on to the next person who was walking by. Notice he didn't do that. He, he said, as soon as he heard, I don't have any silver or gold, he kept listening. He kept listening. See, we have to be brave enough to listen to others. I know we like to be self-sufficient. I know we like to think we have all the answers. I, I know, I know, I know. I know it hurts our pride. I get it. But we have to be brave enough to listen to the people that God has placed in our life. 
We, I know that we would rather look and speak than be looked at and listen. I know. Matter of fact, this is why most Christians are just scared to death of small groups. I mean, we're fine with looking at the world around us and looking on social media and then speaking, throwing out what we think about it, right? We're pretty quick to do that in many ways. Or when we're talking with friends, but there are certain environments that you get in when it's not just about you looking and you talking, it's about letting others look at you and letting others speak into your life. And so many times we get stuck in yesterday's faith because we won't listen to another person. And here's, here's one of the problems. The longer you've been a Christian the harder it gets to listen to another person. The longer you've been a Christian, the harder it gets. We get to that place where we think somehow we're not teachable. And every one of us face it. But if we're going to live the kind of life that God has for us in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to let others see us and we have to listen to those people who God has placed around us. Number five is that I can experience Holy Spirit-given life when I let others help me. You got to let others help you. Again, I know we like to be very self-sufficient. I get it. But if we're going to live the life that God has for us, we have to let other people take us by the hand. Notice what happened in verse 7. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. Notice what happens next. And as he did, notice that phrase, as he did. He took him by the hand. He's helping him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Notice that the power showed up as he was receiving the help. So many times we want assurance of what's going to happen, and we want to know that it's going to work. No, he receives the help, and then God shows up in a powerful way. And again, I, I know that many of us think that we know it all, we have it all, we've accomplished it all, but there are blessings in life that we will never experience until we let someone else help us. There are blessings in life that we will never experience until we let someone else help us. We will just stay caged in our own prisons and in isolation from other people until we let someone else help us open that door. Every single time. We need people to help us see things in different ways. We need people to help us do things. We need people to help us understand things. And God has placed us in community. We talk about community all the time. Yeah, I love community. I love having friends and those kind of things. Whenever it comes to church, that is what we do for each other. We are here for each other in such, such a way that when we gather, we look intently into each other's lives. We speak into each other's lives, and we take each other by the hand so that we can all walk in his power. Now, here's what happens, verse six or number six, is that when I experience Holy Spirit-given life, when I experience this, I cannot help but rejoice. A lot of times we live joyless lives because we're not experiencing Holy Spirit-given life. We're not experiencing God doing things in our life. Somehow we have distanced ourselves from God. We have distanced ourselves from His people. We have grieved His Holy Spirit even within us. And we're not experiencing life, therefore we're not rejoicing. Notice what happens here in verse 8. It says, He jumped up, stood to His feet, and began to walk. Then, notice this, then walking 
leaping, oh, it's getting crazy, leaping and praising God. He went into the temple. Oh, no, he's going to church, dancing around. He went into the temple with them. Notice that. Most of you, you know, good Methodists, we're, we're comfortable with the walking. Just don't start jumping around and leaping. Then it gets a little crazy, right? Listen, I know you jump up and down when you watch that 18-year-old boy run up down the field with a football, right? And then somehow we come to church and we act all dignified, right? No, listen, when God does something in your life, you cannot help but rejoice. You can't help but rejoice. I, I, man, when I was a teenager, I went to a church in Russellville, Alabama. You probably never heard of Russellville, Alabama. But I was in Russellville, Alabama. There was a guy giving his testimony, and the whole time he was giving his testimony, he was just jumping around. You know, and as a teenager, I'm sitting there like, this is making me nervous, you know. I'm all for what God's doing in your life. That's great. But do you have to jump around all the time? And about the time I'm thinking that is that is running through my mind. He said, I know that some of you are making fun of me. That's okay. People make fun of me all the time. He said, that's okay. That's okay. But you don't know what I've been delivered from. And if you've been delivered from what I've been delivered from, you would jump up and down too. Because when God does something in your life, you cannot help but rejoice. We have forgotten who we are. As Christians, we have forgotten that we have been set free by the blood of the Lamb, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We have forgotten that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We have forgotten all these things that God has done, and instead Christians walk around today and it looks like we woke up every morning and drank a bucket of vinegar. <laughs> right? I mean, miserable. Miserable. No, no, no. When God has done something in your life, you cannot help but rejoice every time, every time. And when you have nothing to rejoice about, it's because you have forgotten. You have forgotten just how much you've been forgiven. You've forgotten just how much God has done in your life. You have forgotten that the very breath that you are breathing right now is a gift from God. You forgot. But when he shows up, when he moves... We rejoice. Number seven is when I experience Holy Spirit-given life, others will notice. Others will notice. You know a tree bites fruit, right? Others will notice. Notice what happens here in verse 9 through 11. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded they all rushed out in amazement to solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to peter and john he won't even let them go you know so many times we think we have to create or come up with a testimony in life you know what am i going to tell people if they ask me about god listen when god shows up in your life and you just rejoice about it people will see it when God shows up and you just rejoice, other people are going to notice that. They're going to see that. And we're either going to show Jesus through our joy, or we're going to show people dead religion through our misery. Our choice. Our choice. We will either show Jesus through our joy, or we will show other people just dead religion, trying to obey some rules, trying to be good enough, and forgetting what he has done in our life, we'll just show people dead religion in our misery. And that's what leads me to point number eight. Is when I experience Holy Spirit-given life, Jesus is made known. Jesus is made known. It gives you an opportunity 
to tell someone the reason why you are rejoicing, the reason why you're so happy. And I'm telling you, Christians, I know there's a lot going on in the world today. I get it. There's a lot going on, and it, it's not all good. But, but we have to learn to let the joy of the Lord be our strength. We have to, here, everybody look at me. Look at, you looking at me? You looking at me? I'm going to teach you a spiritual gift. You ready? This is a manifestation of the Spirit right here, right here. What? Everybody do this. Do it. Just practice. It'll come natural after a while. That was good, John Ed. That was good. That was good. Yeah. When people see your joy, they notice. And that gives the opportunity for Jesus to be made known. Look at verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity. You see that? He saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd, people of Israel. He said, what is so surprising about this? That's Peter's way of saying, you don't know who my God is. What's so surprising about this? And why are you staring at us as though we have made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Oh, no. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Peter says it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is the same Jesus. So now he starts preaching the gospel here. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. It was Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy one, right, the holy and righteous one, and instead demanded the release of a murderer. Then notice verse 15. You killed the author of what? Life. He came so that we may have life. He says, you killed the author of life, but God, look what God did, but God raised him from the dead. Life, the life that we live is not about you living your definition of a good life. It's about you moving from death to life. That's what it's about. God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before faith, he repeats it, in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter saw this opportunity. And a lot of times we think, you know, how do I share Jesus and all that stuff with other people? Listen, when you experience Holy Spirit-given life because you're living in community with other people, and the Holy Spirit is working through that community, and God does something in your life, you can't help but rejoice. People are going to notice, and you're going to have the opportunity to talk about him. It's that simple. You don't have to go try to create the, the, the moment. You don't have to try to manufacture the moment. No. You're going to have these same opportunities, the same opportunity that Peter saw. And you could say, you know, it's just all about Jesus. Death to life. And that's what I've experienced. And what I want to ask you and what I want to plead with you today is this. Do not, please do not, do not sacrifice your eternity for your definition of a good life. Don't do it. Do not sacrifice your eternity for what you think a good life is. You can go chase a good life however you want to define it. You can. Or you can receive the life that Jesus offers that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that life is what is offered to you 
and to me, to everyone watching online and on television, right now. And the question is, will we receive it, maybe for the first time, or receive it fresh and anew? And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's where it all starts. You have to start by surrendering. And when you surrender your life to him, or maybe even surrender again, he fills you with the power of his Holy Spirit and it changes your life forever because he puts you in community with others. He does amazing things and Jesus is made known at the end. My prayer is that be so for me and that be so for you. Amen? Amen? Father, would you let it be so for each and every one of us? Lord, I pray that we would not sell our eternity for a temporary good life on this earth. Lord, life is so short. And we search and we search and we search for our definition of good. May we receive this gift only given by the Holy Spirit of a spiritual life with you. And then may we run and may we leap and may we rejoice because you are so good. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so.